to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. All right. Well, everybody, welcome to The True Truth. So what did we call it? Sharing the Gospel in a postmodern context. I don't know many of you. My name's Chase. I serve as the Associate Director at the BSM at the University of North Texas. None of the UNT students are here. So they saw my name and they're like, yeah, we're not going to that one. That'll be, no, that's okay. But I'm glad that you guys are here. Uh, This is going to be, I think this is going to be pretty fun. And I hope it's going to be really helpful for you guys. Um, I have a real heart for postmodern people, post-Christian people, post-whatever people, you know, um, for, for people that uh, might as well be pre-Christian for as much as they really know about Jesus and um, what it's like to share the gospel with them. I just love, I love it. I love those conversations. My wife and I hope to move to the Northwest and start a church up there or revitalize a church up there uh, someday. But for now, I get to hang out with postmodern people on the college campus all the time. And, uh, and it's just as fun. So I don't know why you're here, but I'm glad that you're here. I hope it's going to be good for all of us. When Before we really get started, I want to do uh, a bit of an exercise. So you guys uh, have that poem. And I know that you've read it already, uh, maybe, or maybe not. But we're going to take just a few more minutes, okay? This is kind of immersive. And I'm going to put this picture back up on the screen. Okay, this is a painting by Robert Rauschenberg, who is... Perhaps one of the more influential modern artists, visual artists of the postmodern movement as it pertains to visual art, okay? Um, he, I, I decided to do one of his paintings because it's a little bit more accessible. He used to do these things called constructs, which were like weird sculptures. Um, one very famously involved a taxidermied goat and a tire. Like, he would just put all this weird kind of collage stuff. His paintings are a little cooler. So I put a painting up here. You've got this uh, poem, which is a poem by Steve Turner, who is a British journalist in 1993. Um, So, and I'm going to put this uh, music back on. This is an album that just came out. And that's one of the things. When it comes to music, um, there are elements that are postmodern, but postmodern music is a little harder to nail down. So it's kind of really anything that's coming out right now is technically postmodern music. But this especially has a lot of the elements. It's collage It's uh, sort of atonal sometimes. It's kind of discordant. So this is um, what is sort of typical. Yeah. Is it Radiohead? It is Radiohead. It. Yeah, this is Radiohead. And this just came out like... This just came out like Friday, like two weeks ago, something like that. So this is like as postmodern as it gets uh, in that it's fresh off the press. So I'm going to put this on. Um, read through this poem one more time. And what I want you to do is I want you to just underline one thing that's like the thing that really stands out to you the most from this poem. Okay? And then if you're done and you find it, just take a minute and just... Um, I went to art school and I had this professor and he would put these slides up and he would say, let's just consider this for a moment. <laughs> And he would just stand there like that and look at it. I want you to consider this for a moment, okay? Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about postmodernism, okay? So. So you're picking one thing that stands out to you in this poem.
Okay. How was that? Nikki said it felt like she was in art school. That was what my whole undergrad was like, just that. <laughs> just a lot of sitting and weird music and weird, you know. Um, okay, so what stood out? What did you underline? Reality will adapt accordingly. Reality will adapt accordingly. Kind of like the selfish nature, like, oh, I'll just do what I want. And it'll, it'll, the world will revolve around me. Okay. okay, okay. What else? I underlined the whole section that says we believe that all religions are basically the same, at least the ones that we read was. Mm-hmm. At least the one that we read was. All the religions are the same, at least the one I know about. Yeah. yeah. Why'd you underline that? Just because it's like... Um, like the people I'm around uh-huh. are like say things like that all the time and like basically the only thing that's different between Christianity or any other religion is that who made it Yeah. how many gods there are yeah yeah okay anything else you underline stood out to you yeah uh, we believe in the therapy of sin we believe in the therapy of sin mm-hmm. isn't yeah. that an interesting one yeah. mainly because uh, the therapy of sin makes need for therapy greater. Mm, interesting. So yeah. Yeah. That's a really good observation. One more. Put the, we believe man is essentially good as long as behavior lets him down. Because mm. I study a lot of biblical counseling and the world's view of psychology itself is that your problem is outside of you and the solution is inside of you. Yeah. But God says the problem is inside of you and the solution is inside yeah. Yeah, and we're going to come back to that. That's good. So what is this? What is this describing? Do you like this? Yeah? So this obviously isn't the, the product of a postmodern thinker. This is sort of a critique on postmodernism, isn't it? But what is he, what is he kind of describing? What's he doing? Kind of like a culmination of a lot of different religions. Okay. Because it has a little bit of, like, the Wiccan belief, where it's like, we believe in each man's mind. Yeah. 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 So that's speaking to what we call pluralism, the spirit of pluralism in our age. That is a little bit of everything, you know. Okay. But if you're going to say, what is this? What is this poem really about? What is he? What is he trying to do here? About the paradoxes of what they believe. Okay. We believe that there are no, that there is no absolute truth, except that that is an absolute. Yeah, okay, so he's kind of pointing out paradoxes, and, and you said what they believe. Who's they? Postmodern. Postmoderns. What's that? Is it us? Is it us? <laughs> well, it depends, you know. we. Yeah, we. So it's uh, that, that structure we believe, we believe, is what's uh, the structure of creeds, of historical confessions of faith for the church, and it starts with we believe in God the Father Almighty. Well, this is a creed, uh, the beliefs of... Um, Postmodern, more or less postmodern people. Okay, um, contemporary, the the beliefs of contemporary people. What I think that this is really what he's trying to describe, and and being uh, critical of it by pointing out, you know, when you put it all on one page, it kind of points out the inconsistencies of it. Um, is that yeah, we as a people, as an age, as a as a culture right now, um, have a very very interesting worldview. Okay, you guys know this word worldview. It's a word that's been a lot more common lately than it has been before. Um, what is a worldview? If you're going to put worldview in your own words, what would you say? 
Your view of the world. Hey, good. There it is. Your view of the world. Yeah, I put a couple of definitions up here. This one says a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world. This is a prettier way of saying your view of the world. Uh, Especially from a specific standpoint. I like this. A mental model of reality. It is a framework of ideas and attitudes about the world, ourselves, and life. It is a comprehensive system of beliefs. Listen to this. With answers for a wide range of questions. A worldview is, it's how you view the world, yes, but more of what it is, is it is your comprehensive understanding of this is how everything works. This is how the whole universe works. And with this in mind, it answers a wide range of questions. Okay, Every person has a worldview. You have a worldview. Every single person that you are interacting with has a worldview in that every single person, whether they're even aware of it or not, has to answer certain questions about the universe or they can't make sense of anything. And it's really kind of interesting to me that postmodernism is actually sort of a movement that in its scholastic form says that there is no such thing as a worldview, which is itself a worldview. Okay? But everybody is trying to answer certain fundamental questions. Everybody has a way, a lens. You can think of your worldview as a lens through which you understand the whole world. Does that make sense? We're going to get more into these questions in just a second, but I want to talk about this idea of it being a worldview, and I want to, and I want us to spend some time thinking about the postmodern worldview. So we already sort of got into it with this poem, but what is the postmodern worldview like? Okay, you guys, you know, you're probably here, you see that word postmodern, so you have some definition, but if you're going to define the postmodern worldview, what would you say? Relative? What do you mean by relative? Hey, what's uh, that screen to you may not be the screen to me. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sure. So what's true for me is true for me, and your experience might be different, and so that's your experience, and that's true for you. So it's relative. Okay. Yeah. Great. What else? What else is true of the postmodern worldview? Trying to be non-offensive. Non-offensive. Yeah. Very much so. What else? Selfish? Why do you say selfish? It's all about what I think is correct. Yeah. Yeah, and it kind of necessarily has to be selfish, doesn't it? Okay? That, I mean, when you are the only center of your own interpretive experience, you really are kind of the center of the universe. I mean, you just got to be. What else? Anything is permissible if it doesn't harm another person. Yeah, that's kind of, he gets to that in the poem, right? That as long as you're not hurting anybody else, and everything's okay. Unless you have a really good reason. Unless you have a really good reason for hurting somebody else. Yeah, yeah, which again kind of comes back to you, your experience. What's, what's the logic? How would you describe the logic of the postmodern worldview? Illogical. illogical, not very logical, contradictory sometimes. Fabricated, circular, yeah. Uh, what would you describe as the mood of the postmodern worldview? As we were listening to the music and as we see. This poem. How, how would you describe the mood of the postmodern worldview? Casual. Casual. That's a good word. What else? You get the sense that they're overjoyed? No. 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 Kind of confusing. What's that? They would like to think that, but it doesn't ever satisfy, it doesn't ever make them happy. Yeah. Somebody said pessimistic? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a good word. What else? I'd say bleak. Bleak? Yeah, that's a great word. Resentful, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of resentment, isn't there? Yeah. You guys think that's a pretty accurate description of what your understanding of postmodernism is? Every yeah. person I've ever met who had a postmodern worldview was offended by somebody somewhere along <laughs> yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. So okay, yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. You guys are in this room because you are maybe going somewhere very shortly where you're going to be sharing the gospel in a postmodern context, or maybe you're coming from a school where you share the gospel in a postmodern context, or maybe you just know this is the way the world is going, and so you better figure it out. <laughs> How does it make you feel to know that you're being asked to go and share the Christian faith with people that have a worldview like this, where this is, this is what the world looks like? How does that make you feel? Let's be honest. Intimidated. Intimidated? Why? I don't know, like they already have their minds made up, kind of. Okay, yeah. Like strong ideas. Yeah, okay, so they're very, con- as convinced as you can be of a very illogical, contradictory, <laughs> yeah, what else? Intimidated. Stressed. Stressed? Why stressed? It's one of those that, for them, it's, I believe this, that this is the truth, and you're trying to convince them of otherwise. Yeah. Are you going to know all the answers? Yeah. Okay, so you're worried about having the right answers? Worried about, what do I say? What do I, yeah. Anybody just kind of like, I don't even know where to start? Mm-hmm. Somebody feel that way? Yeah. You ever, you ever had a conversation with postmodern people? You know, you try to share the gospel, you ever try to share the gospel with somebody that views, that really views the world this way? Mm-hmm. It's a little weird, isn't it? And it's sort of discouraging. And then you ever feel like you're talking past each other? You feel like you're taking crazy pills a little bit. It's like, you know, things that you know are just true, like are just so obvious to you, and you share that with them, and they're like, yeah, I don't think that's right. And you're like, how could that? And then they say things that they've just got these assumptions, these presuppositions about things, and you're like, how did they believe that? Okay, it feels like we're speaking different languages sometimes. You know why that is? It's because we have a very different worldview. And that's the point that I want to drive home to you today, okay, that the Christian worldview is almost on every single aspect contradictory to the postmodern worldview. Okay? The Christian worldview, in almost every respect, is different from the postmodern worldview. So we are, a lot of times when we talk about wanting to engage with a postmodern worldview, I think we think about it a little differently. We don't think about it like there's this big of a difference. And so in some ways what we do is we want to try and assume that they've got all of the understandings that we've got, that their worldview isn't any different from ours. And so we come and we try to do evangelism to postmodern people. We're doing it thinking that they're going to get what the heck we're talking about. Okay, a lot of times we come with these methods of evangelism that used to work because we used to be a modern culture. And we used to come to them with this assumption that they have some built-in knowledge about the Bible. Or they've got some built-in categories of morality. Or they've got some, so you can come down to somebody and you can say, hey, if you died tonight, do you know what would happen? And that could actually start a good gospel conversation. You know, or you could say, have you ever told a lie? Well, you know that that's sin and that you're going to go to hell if you don't have a Savior. And that worked. That really did work. That worked for decades. But it's not working anymore, is it? Because their worldview is so different from ours that they're like, what's sin? 
And how arrogant of you to say that anything is right or wrong. For, for you, maybe, but not for me. And so all these old methods of evangelism that we had, just, they didn't, and you know, and I really wonder if they really worked that well to begin with, you know, or if they didn't just work because people had a general understanding of the gospel and just by function of, function of growing up in America or in a Christianized culture, you know. But the other thing is that when we hear that they have a worldview that's so different from ours, we try to kind of jump all the way into their worldview. So instead of trying to bring them over to ours, we try to jump over into theirs, and we start having to throw away, you know, how can a culture that doesn't believe any truth exists at all exist with the gospel? But when we hear we've got to try and engage a postmodern culture, what we try to do is we try to accommodate them and we try to talk like them and we try to read their books and understand their articles and we try to embed ourselves with them and we think somehow the gospel is just going to sort of ooze out from us because we act postmodern enough that they'll suddenly get it. And that doesn't work either, does it? So what do we do? It starts with admitting we're on one side of a divide and they're on the other when it comes to terms of worldview. We are rival worldviews. That's, that's a quote that I want to show you. This is from a guy named David Wells. Okay? And this is what he says. And I was, as I was getting ready for this lesson, I came across this, and this was like, this says it all. Okay? And we're going to unpack this a little bit. When he says, when rival worldviews are in play, it is not adaptation that is called for, but confrontation. Let me just stop right there. How do you feel when you see that word, Confrontation. Well, as an S. As an S. <laughs> you guys just did your disc profiles. And you're like, nope, I don't like confrontation. Our culture doesn't like confrontation, does it? Maybe that's, this is where our postmodern comes out. We're like, I don't like, con- I don't like the thought of having to confront somebody. I don't like, because confrontation necessarily sounds like you're telling somebody that they're wrong, doesn't it? And that's not cool. That's not okay. That's what it feels like, okay? But he's saying when it comes to rival worldviews, there's really no way around it. You can't adapt and work your way into it, but you have to confront. But I don't want you to think of confrontation like what maybe you're thinking, so let's keep reading. He says, confrontation not of a behavioral kind, which is lacking in love. Okay, and saying, you are sinful for doing this, you're evil, you're wrong for the way that you act, your behaviors, but is a confrontation, a cognitive kind, which, listen to this, holds forth truth in love. So I called this seminar the true truth. Okay, isn't that a great phrase? I totally stole that from Francis Schaeffer. Okay, and if you don't know who Francis Schaeffer is, you need to read you some Francis Schaeffer. He was from the '60s. He was talking about these problems in postmodernism before anybody was. Okay, he was uh, this amazing theologian, Christian apologist. I mean, great, really cool guy. And he called the Christian faith the true truth, as he's trying to speak the gospel into a relativistic society where everything is true. He says we come into that as Christians and we have the true truth. He called it the flaming truth. I love that. We come in with the flaming truth of the gospel and we hold it out to people. And we engage their fallacies. We engage their contradictions. We engage their illogical worldview with the truth. And the truth is this flaming bright light. And that's how we're trying to engage them cognitively, okay? And, I, and he quotes, you know, Ephesians 4, the truth in love. So he keeps on going. We're at, right after that verse reference. He says, This is one of the great lessons learned from the early church. 
Despite the few who wobbled, that is in the first few centuries of the church, he says most of its leaders maintained with an admirable tenacity the alternative view of life, which was rooted in apostolic teaching. What's apostolic teaching? This. Okay. The apostolic teaching, as they were speaking as prophets of God, they were holding to the gospel as revealed in Scripture. Okay? And so the early church held to this alternative view of life that was communicated to them through the Word of God. They did not allow love to blur truth or to substitute for it, but sought to live by both truth and love. Isn't that good? They did not allow love to blur truth. And I think we are tempted to do that in our culture as evangelists. Okay, because it feels unloving to tell someone that they're wrong, especially in the world that we live in. But they were very loving at the same time that they held out and pointed out the illogical worldview of the people that they're engaging. And I love that he brings up the early church because, I don't know, I, you know, I have had to, I said, I went to art school, postmodern, art, art right now is all postmodern, and so we had to do a lot of studying about postmodernism. You may not care all that much about where postmodernism came from, and we don't have time to get into all of it, but what is, postmodernism is a reaction to what? Modernism. It's in the name. Right? What is modernism? Well, modernism was the scientific enlightenment worldview that arose kind of out of the Renaissance in the West. Okay? Um, and, and what was before modernism? Pre-modernism, yeah. They, they didn't get very creative with the pre-modernism. Of course, in the pre-modern era, were they calling themselves pre-modernists? No, they didn't know that. Okay, But pre-modernism was the worldview that prevailed from basically the beginning of civilization until the Renaissance. And then it was during the Renaissance that people started thinking differently about the world and started thinking materialistically and scientifically and all of these things. And, and then postmodernism was a reaction to that. But if you really study it, you know what's really interesting? I think it's interesting that postmodernism is actually a return to premodernism. It's sort of a rejection of the scientific. Because what is science? Okay, Science isn't relative at all, is it? No. If, if A is B and B is C, then A is C. That's how the world works. And so that... Pre, that modern worldview is the one that gave rise to there can't be a God because I can't test it. But pre-modernism is a rejection. Things aren't that simple and there's not that knowable kind of truth like you think that there is. The universe doesn't make that much sense. And so that's actually the way that people thought before science. So postmodernism is actually just a rehashing of pre-modernism and you know why that makes me excited? What kind of culture did the Christian faith birth out of, begin in? A pre-modern worldview. What kind of worldview did the Christian faith flourish in? A pre-modern worldview. And if postmodernism is just sort of a return to pre-modernism, then that should actually encourage us. But we preach the gospel into a postmodern context the same way the apostles and the church fathers preached the gospel into a pre-modern context. They preached the gospel. They engaged illogical worldviews with the flaming truth of the gospel and when people saw it, they were converted. That's, that's how it works. And so this is my big thing. As you're going to a po- and when we talk about, okay, how do we engage postmoderns? How we, you know, a lot of times what we're talking about is here's how you can kind of wrap up your gospel presentation in this cool postmodern uh, relevant context so that people will swallow it better. And the reason that people aren't believing the gospel is because we're not making it relevant or postmodern enough. They just don't understand. 
look, here's what I believe, and I've been doing this for a while. The reason postmodern people aren't believing the gospel is because we're not preaching the gospel. It's not that we're not wrapping it up in the cool... Context, I mean, context is important, and it's good to know who you're talking to, but at the very least, the gospel has power. Okay? So don't get so caught up on, oh, how do I say this to... Just preach the gospel. But preach the gospel to their worldview. Confront their worldview. Does that make sense? So how do we do that? Okay, well, this is where it gets good. Remember we went back and we said uh, in that quote that every worldview is trying to answer questions, right? So this is what we're going to do. is I'm going to give you five questions that every worldview has to answer, whether or not you know it, okay? And we're going to talk about how postmodern people would answer these questions and how Christians answer these questions. And so when we are confronting people's worldview, we're confronting them. I, you know, and there's lots of questions, there's lots of, but this is what I like to do, is we are confronting people at these questions. And we are trying to get them to answer these questions, because a lot of times, people just exist with their worldview. A lot of times, worldviews are sort of automatic. It's like the joke about uh, the two young fish. You heard this? The two young fish are, are swimming one day, and then this old fish comes swimming the other way, and, and he says to the young fish, he says, well, good morning, boys. The water's fine, isn't it? And they kept on swimming for a little bit, and then the one fish turns to the other fish, and he says, what the heck's water? Okay, it, It's just how they, what they exist in. They have no idea that that's what it is, but every person has a worldview. And so we get to ask them these questions. This is what I, so when you're, evangelism is all asking questions until you get to share the gospel. And so we're asking these kind of questions, and this may be the first time they've ever answered it. This may be the first time they've ever really stopped and thought about, and it might just in the in the practice of answering that question make them realize, wow, I've got a pretty inconsistent worldview. And then we get to share the Christian answer to these questions, and it's going to be flaming truth, true truth to these people that are existing in a society that has none. Okay, so there's five questions. There's more questions. People have different. These are my five questions. Okay, number one: What is the source of truth? How would a postmodern person answer this question? What is the source of truth? How would they answer that? What is truth? Yeah. <laughs> Quid est veritas. That's what, yeah. What is truth? There is no truth. What is truth? Yeah. So it's kind of hard to, to answer that. You know, they say, well, you know, truth is what's true for you. And truth is what's true for me. And so then you can come back and say, okay, well, how do you know what's true for you is true for you? And then how would they answer that question? So don't, you know, don't get put off by the, there is no truth. What is true? Because everybody's got their own truth. So how do they know what's true for them? So you can just keep pressing in this, okay, but how do you know what's true for you? And how would they answer that question? Maybe they've never, you know even been asked that question. How do you think they would? We've got to understand where they're coming from, their worldview, if we're going to be able to... Anybody? Through their experiences? Yeah, great. Their experiences. What do you mean by that? Yeah. experience because they're not able to make money to steal. But yeah. it could be for someone else's experience whenever they have enough money and then someone stole from them and they're saying that stealing is bad. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And so what I think you're also getting to is their feelings, their affects, right? This made me feel this way in this experience, and that made me feel like that was right, or that made me feel like that was wrong. So yeah, feelings and experience, you nailed it. That's how they define what's true. And that's how we all do, apart from the gospel, apart from the word of God. This is what we all do. In my experience, this happened, and I felt this way about it. Therefore, that must be right or wrong. And a lot of times, this is what's true for me. It's just feelings. This is what feels right. And that changes, doesn't it? You know? That changes from year to year. That changes from... It's so subjective, isn't it? So that's actually a really hard existence. That's hard to... And when you start talking about it and thinking about it, that's actually kind of hard to continue in. But yeah, that's it. The source of truth is just what feels right, what feels true to me. But how does a Christian answer? What is our source of truth? God. And how how do we... Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the truth. Yeah. So he's the source of truth, the emanation of truth. But... But how do we know that? Scripture. Huh? Scripture. Scripture. Yeah, the Bible. But hold on. Okay, this is where we do it. This is, this is already... Okay, so you sit down with somebody and say, No, you can't, you can't believe that's true. That's so subjective. You have to believe this is true because the Bible says so. <laughs> How's that going to work? Not going to work, is it? No. Because that's us kind of doing that, not realizing that there's a big gap there. Bible, the Bible is sort of scripture, is Christian shorthand. And so it means something to us that doesn't mean to them. Okay? So we do have a source of truth, and you guys are right, that our source of truth is God as he's revealed himself to us through the word. But how can we explain that to somebody that doesn't get that? Hmm? No? You know what? Our own testimony, maybe? Okay, yeah, exactly, exactly, yes. Because you know, but here's what you can do: is you sit down and they're kind of talking about, well, you know, I think this is how I know truth. This is how, and and you know, a lot of times when you ask people these questions, they're going to ask, well, what do you think? How do you think that? And you know what you can say? God talks to me. Because that's what we believe, isn't it? We don't say it like that, but that's what we believe, isn't that true? God talks to me. My God talks to me every morning. I hear from Him. Even more, my God lives inside of me. He helps me understand things about Him. He gives me peace. He gives me wisdom. He gives me insight. I mean, I've got a, I've got a supernatural deity communicating with me on a daily basis, on a constant basis. God talks to me. And if you, if you say that like, you, like it's true, like you mean that, Whoa, that's kind of weird. But that's interesting. And that's true, isn't it? And so instead of, yeah. So I've done that, and then their response was, how do you know it's the difference? It's not just your conscience. Yeah, how do you know it's not your conscience? That's, that's a great question. And then you can say, as I've been walking with this God, as I've been hearing from this God again and again and again for a long period of time, as I've been, you know, and then you can open up and you can say, you know what this is? Like, this isn't just some weird book. Like, this is a supernatural book. Like, I've tried, I've tried this. I've read, there's not contradictions in this book. And this book says things about me that are true, and you know how I know they're true? Sometimes they say things about me that I don't want to hear. If I was just listening to my conscience, I would always be right. Okay? Because my conscience is deceitful. That's Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things, but this is true. And so again, you appeal to your experiences. 
Okay? It's kind of ex- meeting experience with experience, isn't it? Except our experience is experiencing the truth. And so we can say, God talks, and you know, and, and, um, and there, there'll be more time for, if that didn't answer that question, we'll have time for questions at the end, I hope. Um, but when I, I've sat down, I've talked to people about this, and I say that to them, you know, God, a God talks to me. I say it like that, a God talks to me, because uh, it just sounds weirder. And it, I'm just trying to break out, you know, their, their knee-jerk responses. But I say, a God talks to me. That's intriguing, because it's true. And it kind of gets over the Christian baggage and we can explain to them these amazing realities that we believe. And we can say, you know, I've got this supernatural, superior source of truth that I, that I get to learn by. And it might cause them to think, man, my truth is pretty subjective and cumbersome and hard to live by. But their truth sounds true. So we talk about that. What is the source of truth? The next one. Why is there something instead of nothing? This is a great question. You kind of, you might have to think about this. This is kind of a philosophic way of asking that. Why does this all exist rather than just nothing existing? Why, why are we? Why, why does this exist? It's not a question of purpose. It's a question of how did this even happen? Why does the universe exist? How does the universe exist? And how would a postmodern person answer that question? Just kind of happens. How did it happen? Science? Yeah, because science. Charles Dawkins said it best. He said, whatever this nothing was was really quite something that gave rise to everything. Say that again. (laughs) (laughs) This nothing that was obviously really quite something because it gave rise to everything. Yeah, okay, so that there was some kind of nothing that exploded at one point. That's the Big Bang. That exploded at one point and now... We're here, so it couldn't have been nothing before. It had to have been something before then, too. You get what, what we're saying? It's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And and again, so this is this is where the post scientific aspect comes out, I think, because in a pre modern culture, uh, where did everything come from? Well, the gods. Okay. But we're in a post scientific culture, and so we can't use that as an answer. But now we have science, which is sort of just the new the gods. Okay, where did everything come? The Big Bang. Well, what made the Big Bang bang? You know, your car doesn't just turn on randomly. Okay, that's another kind of explosion. That doesn't just happen. So where did everything come from? And so asking this question and really trying to get to a satisfying answer. Because a lot of times they can just do what you said. Yeah, science. Science has that one covered. I don't have to think about that. But it doesn't. Not really. And I'm not saying that the Big Bang's not true. I'm not saying it is. Don't, you know, don't get me in trouble. But... <laughs> All I'm saying is science doesn't have a satisfactory answer for why this happened. And it could have good, good answers for how mechanically and things can, but it, you know. A lot of times when I talk to people and I ask them this question and they're like, well, the Big Bang, well, what was before the Big Bang? Well, this singularity where everything was crammed into this one little point, well, what was before that? Well, probably another universe that had shrunk in on that. And so there was a universe before that. that well, where'd that one come from? Well, another Big Bang. Where'd that one come? Well, you know, it's this ongoing cycle. And I said, wait a minute. So you believe in something eternal, that is universe after universe after universe, and, and you have no proof for that, but you believe in it, and yet you say that I'm crazy for believing in something eternal that I have no proof in. Okay? So there's really not a very good answer to this question apart from theism. 
And so I like to press in on that one, okay? And we're not going to spend a ton of time on that one, but next question. What is wrong with the world? What is wrong with the world? How would a postmodern person answer this question? What's wrong with the world? Society. <coughs> Nothing, really. <laughs> Certainly not my fault. Yeah. And I'd say, well, we're sure spending a lot of time trying to fix something that's not broken. Okay. So if anything, they said, yeah, it's society. It's, it's really a matter of ignorance. You know, if people just knew better. If we did enough teaching, if we had more learning, if we had more advancement, eventually things are just going to get better on their own. Don't, isn't that? How, what does the Christian say is wrong with the world? Sin. We are. We are. Yeah. I love that. G.K. Chesterton, he was a British journalist, and there was a newspaper that put out a thing, and it's like, what's the, what is wrong with the world? It's kind of asking for different essays and topics on that, and he wrote in, and he just said, Dear sirs or madams, I am. What's wrong with the world? Isn't that interesting? So this is a good point. When you're talking to people, and I found this is really interesting, this is really fascinating. When you're talking to people, and you talk to people, because really, what's wrong with the world? Well, there's really nothing wrong, because there's no such thing as right or wrong. Okay? But then you come in with a Christian sense of conscience and you admit when you've done things wrong. That, that shines like a light in a relativistic culture. When you're talking to people and you, admit, you express grief, because this whole view, there's nothing really right or wrong, it's all kind of a way of putting away grief. It's kind of a way of putting away conscience and morality. But when you have this sense of, you know, because a lot of times when we talk about morality, we're doing it in the way that he said, in this behavioral confrontation where we're telling other people what's wrong with them. But when you're sitting down and you're building relationships with postmodern people, and I, and I meant to say that, guys, it's a relationship. Okay? That's the thing. We can't go out with these really quick gospel presentations and expect people to believe in Jesus like maybe they used to. You know, This really quick, easy believism where it's like, here's the four spiritual laws. Do you want to go to heaven? Yes. It doesn't work like that. It's an investment. It's really, it just takes time because you're building categories that they don't even have before you're even trying to share the gospel with them. But as you're building relationships with them and you're not talking about what they're doing wrong, but you're talking about what you're doing wrong, that you feel grief over, that you know is a problem that needs to be corrected by the grace of God. I remember there's one guy that I've been meeting with. He's totally posed. He's from New York, so he's like got none of our southern Christian, you know, Flannery O'Connor called us Jesus-haunted people. He's not Jesus-haunted at all, okay? And, and we talk, and I told him about how I was a jerk to my wife. He says, wow, you, you did that? And I was like, yeah. Yeah, I... I Sinned. That was something wrong that I that I shouldn't have done, and that was totally on me, and it was selfish, and it was whatever, and and it just so struck him that one, I would even talk about that, that I wouldn't just blame it on her. I would, you know, pass the buck or I'd do whatever, but that I would talk about it, and I would say, I want to be better, and God's made a way for me to be better, and he, he had no categories for that, but you know what? When I shared that with him, he knew it was true, and he knows, wow, I'm I am a sinner too. And he can admit it. Why don't? Why can't I admit it? Okay. And so, we answer this question a lot of times just with our own testimony again. 
but then this one. So we, these ones go together. What is wrong with the world? And then this question, how do we fix it? How does the postmodern person answer that question? Yeah. 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 So if we can overcome our ignorance, if we can um, just through scientific advancement and through enough policies and enough teaching and enough understanding, we can sort of arrive at maybe this system where everything just gets better on its own. Okay. But then sometimes you really talk to people, and, and if they've got this view that there's like there's really no such thing as right or wrong, there's really nothing wrong with the world, then there's nothing to fix, is there? Okay. And this is where I think it's interesting to point out uh, the rise in spirituality and postmodernism. Okay, you guys, you know that you hear people. I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. That's very common amongst postmodernism, isn't it? What does that even mean? What do you think that means? Spiritualism. They believe in something that's so vague you can never really put your finger on. You can't accuse them of anything. Okay. And they can just make it up as they go. So it's got a vagueness. The advantages of which are you can just kind of do whatever you want. Okay. But what are they trying to do by that spirituality? Okay, it's non-confrontational. Sure. But what are their hope? I mean, they're genuine, like, huh? Trying to find peace. Yeah. Peace with who? With what? Just in case I'm wrong, yeah. I have it. I have, I'm spiritual, yeah. And, I, yeah. and there is. So they're trying to find peace, spiritual peace. And now look, I know that, I know that um, it's easy, and I don't want us to walk away from this and just being like, man, those postmoderns are so stupid, you know. Because we all are, okay? That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Why do you boast as if you didn't receive? Okay, because we would all be, but we all have this deep longing for peace, spiritual peace because there's a lot of spiritual unrest and so I think it's really interesting that even as um, organized religion has uh, and this is just in the west but as it's gotten less and less popular there hasn't been more and more atheism there's just been more and more spiritualism because people can't shake that feeling that there's just something wrong even though they won't admit that there's necessarily something wrong with themselves they still don't feel like they're right and the way that we know that is because there are all of these weird spiritual pursuits and it is. It's vague, and it's pluralistic. And so it's like, well, I like a little bit of Zen meditation, and I like a little bit of tarot cards, and I like a little bit of reading this kind of scripture. And sometimes I'll go to church, and sometimes I'll um, read dead philosophers, or I'll do whatever. But it's just all of this sort of spiritual, it's a kind of a journey, isn't it? Like a quest. I'm on a spiritual quest. But what's their hope? To fix what's wrong. And this is, this is, I think, the biggest, right here, okay, so if you're zoning out, bring it back in. I think this is the biggest distinction that we have between the Christian worldview and the postmodern worldview. And, and this is where it comes in most prominently. And really, it's just a rehashing of the bridge illustration. You guys know the bridge illustration, right? Okay, if you don't, Google it. The bridge illustration is that spirituality and this sense of, like, I'm trying to, through my experiences, through our efforts, through some sort of pluralistic religious practice, fix what's broken without ever admitting that there's actually something wrong. And that's a recipe for disaster. So it's really interesting because when you talk to postmodern people, they, they think that they're going to get there through just enough 
experience, through enough feelings, through enough truth, as my truth grows and understands, I'm going to get to this point of self-actualization, of enlightenment, where I'm going to get to the point where I'm actually good. But what do we believe? That you can't get there. You cannot have peace with God without first admitting that your sin has caused a division. And so when you're talking to people, because I'll guarantee you, when you start having deep conversations with postmodern people, they're deeply spiritual. And they deeply want to have a relationship with God. They want to have peace with God. And as you talk more and more about the truths of your God, a lot of times you're going to be like, I like that. And you have to confront this in love by saying, friend, you cannot have peace with God until you admit that your sin separates you from God. And here's what I mean by that. And you can't use sin. You can't even say that. You have to say, the things that you do wrong have no business with a God who is good and perfect and made you and made everything. Okay? You cannot be restored. You cannot have a relationship. You cannot enlighten and know. Okay? It kind of assumes, their view kind of assumes that they have unfettered access to God. That if they just explore enough, if they just have enough experiences, that they can have a good understanding of God. But they can't because their sin separates them from God. And so we get to say, you cannot know this God. You can't know this God the way I know this God. Until you admit that you have no access to Him because of your sin. And then recognize that he came to you instead of you coming to him. All of postmodernism is just one more religion that's trying to arrive at God. It's do versus done. And we get to preach the gospel into that. Isn't that cool? Okay? But it comes from this question. But then here's the last, the last one. Where is this all going? And hopefully that's not... Uh, that's not how they end the conversation. Like, where is this going? You know, that's not what that, that's not what that means. What this means is, what is, the, what is the end of existence? What is the point of life? In philosophical terms, they call it uh, the telos, okay? T-E-L-O-S, the telos. It means the end. What's the end of everything? What's the point of all of this? Where is this headed? Every worldview has to answer this question. Where is this all going? How would a postmodern person answer that question? Entropy. Entropy. What does that mean? The universe is eventually just going to all fall apart and everything's going to go away. Everything's just going to go away. Everything's just going to burn up, collapse back in on itself. It's just all that there is. Even were we to overcome our ignorances and make these scientific advancements and, and arrive at a global peace and prosperity and all of these things, well, then what? Huh? What's the point then? What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? This is uh, some lyrics from a band. They're a band from Portland called Typhoon. This came out in 2013. They're a great band. Um, Listen to these. This is from a song called Morton's Fork. Listen to these lyrics. He's talking about... uh, the, the destructive forces of the universe, the corrupting forces of the universe, entropy, death. Okay, And he kind of uh, makes a metaphor of them as they're like a pack of wolves. And so this is what he says. There are things in the woods that will prey on the things that you love. And they'll come through the fold. This is the sound of the wild pack of hungry wolves. And I won't lie to you, it'll be painful. It's in your nature to fear what is natural. Isn't that an interesting line? It's in your nature to fear what is natural. What, is, what does that mean? What they're saying is that, man, we all know this is just the way it's going to go, that everything's just going to burn up in the end. 
That's natural. Death is natural. It's just a part of it. But it's in your nature to fear it. Isn't that interesting? That's a contrast. That's illogical. That's when I had a mentor one time. You know, everybody talks about the circle of life. And it's like, you know, the circle of life is not a good thing because we hate death. Everybody hates death. And so as much as you want to say it's, what na- it's natural and there's something beautiful in it, it's not. It's scary. And he's admitting that it's scary. And so when you read those lyrics, those are really depressing lyrics, aren't they? And you could imagine this with some like really like dark, deep, you know, sounds like Radiohead or something like that. Like something. But you know what's really interesting about this song? You need to go listen to this song. This is a really upbeat song. This is really kind of happy. It's anthemic. It's like got this building horns and, and lots of chorus, you know, of people coming in and singing. I mean, it's just really upbeat. And like this next thing goes, and the sun will explode, but not before you and everyone that you've ever known will be gone. Long ago, we are all alone in this together, all alone in this together. Isn't that interesting? We're all alone in this together. That's why I like this band, okay? It's because they, I haven't really listened to anybody that has put into words the truths of the postmodern worldview quite like these guys. And they are recognizing, what's the point? And all they can do is... is Try to be upbeat about it. It's really interesting when you look at the beginnings of postmodernism and the first, you know, and, and there's not like a clear starting point where this is when postmodernism started, but you look at like a guy like Albert Camus who wrote The Stranger and some of these other books. It was a, you know decades ago, and he was one of the first guys to really start engaging with these ideas. And he comes to the same conclusions that there's really no point in existence. And you know his response? Is he's terrified. He despairs. It's a horrible under, it's a it's a horrible conclusion to come to and he doesn't even know how to grapple with it. But in the decades since then as we've kind of progressed that despair has just sort of gotten replaced with irony. Life is just one big irony. You've seen it like you know lot, the TV shows that we like our generation's TV shows they're so ironic aren't they? That's our sense of humor. Is because if you just stop and think about it, it's like, what's the point? And all we can really do is laugh at it. Okay, that's what, this is a video. So this is, this is funny. It's supposed to be funny, okay? Um, but watch this. Is this it? Is this all there is? Spreadsheets and paperwork. I'm gonna die someday, and I'll be sitting here, just wasting away at this job. And for what? We're just floating through time and spit. It's pizza day. get it it's funny because it's true right okay right before she comes to this point of this existential collapse she's distracted and she instagrams it and she you know puts this picture forward of everything's great hashtag blessed it's pizza day i love my job and we all i mean 
that's a gut check for all of us, isn't it? You know, the, what we try to portray. That's not helping anybody understand the gospel when our social media makes us look like everything's perfect. Okay, but this is this is the people that you're preaching the gospel to, and maybe they just have numbed themselves through irony, through humor, through media, to avoid thinking about these realities. But when you sit down and you talk to somebody about it, and you sit down and you say, what's the point of all of this? I have to think that when they really stop and think about it, it is so unsatisfying. I mean, what's the point of getting up out of bed? Why do you work your job? Why do you do what you... If this is all... I mean... If it's all just doomed to burn up, what's the point? And it's very depressing, isn't it? I've showed this to people before, and I haven't given them the disclaimer that it's funny. And they're just like, wow, that sucks. It sucks. It does, doesn't it? The postmodern worldview is hopeless. And that's where we get to come in. That's where we get to bring hope. Because what is the Christian answer to that question? Where is this all going? What's our answer? Huh? Heaven. 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 I'm going to pick on you. (laughs) Okay? Because we do that. And that's not a bad answer. But is that all? Heaven? I mean, what is that? I think a lot of times it's like, hey, if you believe in Jesus, your sins will be forgiven and you'll have eternal life. You'll get to go to heaven. And they're like, what does that even mean? Big de- eternal life. I don't know what you're talking about. What is, okay, that word heaven and what we mean with it, and I don't even know that we know what we mean when we say that, doesn't carry with it any of the weight that it does the truth of it. Because what is it that we really get to look forward to, okay? is a resurrection, okay? And even heaven, heaven's just the place that we're waiting until the resurrection, right? Like you get that? Okay? Eternal life for us isn't sitting on a cloud playing a harp. No, we're going to be raised from the dead. And this is the craziest truth of all, but we believe this. To say, while well, they've got this view of everything's just going to collapse on itself and burn up in entropy, I've got a view that where this is going, first of all, starts with my God who is the source of truth who created everything and made it perfect and we screwed it up is fixing everything. So I can admit full on that, yeah, there's a problem. And I can admit full on that it's all going to get better. That everything that causes us to weep and cry and be sad in this life will go away. But we're not going to do it. And not like that view that says, well, even if we did fix everything, what's the point? Because we're all going to die someday and it's all going to burn up. I say, no, it's not. God's going to fix everything and my bones are going to come up out of the ground and my skin is going to get put back on my flesh and my soul is going to be joined back with my body and I'm going to exist on a remade terrestrial paradise with my resurrected Judean king and we are going to exist for millions and millions of years in a land that has absolute peace, that has absolute prosperity, that is waking up every single day with another adventure. I'm going to have a job that I work. There's going to be things that I learn. I'm going to get to spend the rest of eternity understanding the immeasurable riches and mysteries of my God. And I'm going to have that forever. And it is as real as anything that I have today. More real. 
and it is a more human experience than anything that I can have this side of it. And I long for that. And everything that I do right now is in light of that. And you know how I know that this is real? Because Jesus is raised from the dead. That's what we preach. That's the gospel. We've got this really... We've got this really low understanding of the gospel and the reality of it. When we can point to the empty tomb of Jesus, and this is the last thing that I'll say is when you're talking to postmodern people, this, this argument plays as well now as it did in the first century. Is Why is Jesus' tomb empty? What does that mean? Okay, Because if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, then everything that I'm talking about is crazy and my condition is no better than yours. But if Jesus did come back from the dead then that means that I have a resurrection to look forward to just like his. That is exactly the argument that Paul makes in 1 Corinthians. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And if in Christ, look at this, we have hope in this life only we are of all people most to be pitied that's a statement Paul's making a statement about the postmodern worldview 2,000 years before it came if all we have is hope in this life only that's pitiable and if we Christians most of all only have hope in this life then we're most pitiable but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits. What's first fruits mean? There's one of many more to come. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, that's what's wrong with the world, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. If this isn't your understanding of the gospel, and the hope that we look forward to, you're going to have a really hard time preaching anything that anybody else is going to want to have anything to do. Why do you even want to have anything to do with the gospel? But we look forward to a resurrection. We look forward to a true hope. And it is true. And we get to go out and share that with other people and make the offer. Look, this can be yours. This can be yours. And so we're going out and we're preaching that truth. And now this is the last thing I want to say. Go, get your Bible, go to 1 Corinthians. This is from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is a great book for, because Corinth was a typical postmodern, a typical pre-modern, I said postmodern, it might as well be the same thing. It's a typical pre-modern culture. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just one verse. I know you guys have been memorizing a bunch of verses. This isn't one that you've memorized, is it? One eighteen? No? I'd add this to your list. First Corinthians one eighteen. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved. It is the power of God.
The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now what he's saying is he has in view two kinds of people. There are some people that are perishing, and there are some people that are being saved. Okay? And I love it. He includes those who are being saved amongst us. They're our ranks. They're just not yet saved. Okay? But he's got in view these two kinds of people. Do we know who those two kinds of people are? No. God does. All we know is Paul promises there's two kinds of people in the world. There are some people that when you share this truth with them, they're going to think you're an idiot. And it's going to grind up against every single one of their postmodern sensibilities and they're going to call you a fool and they're going to laugh at you and they're going to argue with you and they're going to deny you and they're going to say they don't want to talk to you. Paul says, expect that. And when you speak the word to them, it's going to be foolishness to them. You know why? Because they're perishing. And they are. And that should cause us to grieve. But there are some people who are being saved who for all intents and purposes outwardly look like they're the, the ones perishing but when you come and you share the gospel with them they're going to hear it and it's going to sound like the aroma of life that's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 he says they're going to hear that and they're going to say this is what I've always wanted I didn't know it but what you're saying that's what I want this is true all of this other stuff is foolishness but this is the power of God and all you do is you preach it all you do is you share it with them all you do is you believe this is true Okay? This is why evangelism really isn't as hard as we want to make it. You're putting the truth out there, and the ones who are going to believe the truth are going to believe it. All you have to do, and yeah, is it going to be hard? Yes. Is it going to be intimidating? Yes. But are there people being saved, and is it this the power of God for them? Yes. So go out and preach it. People are going to be saved. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good news? So don't be afraid of looking like a fool. You are. But be glad that God has already prepared people wherever you're going this summer. They're being saved. All, is, all it's going to take is for them to hear the word of God. The true truth. And you have the privilege of taking it to them. So any questions? Anything about some of what we talked about? We'll put these questions back up there. we got 15, 10 more minutes. Yes. Yeah. Um, how do you approach someone who is very resentful already to the gospel yeah. before you even try to tell them? Yeah, so they've, they've got some kind of built-in resentment because of some past experience that we had, you know, and that factors they, they were hurt by the church somehow. Um, what you can, if, if you're experiencing that kind of resentment, you can just say, hey, it seems like you're a little resentful of Christianity. What's, what's up with that? And that's in the spirit of friendship. And that's the spirit of, I'm trying to get to know. Hey, it's, it seems like any time we take it anywhere spiritual, you get really defensive. What's that about? I'm sure there's a story there. Can I hear it? And then they share it with you, and they share you about their hurt, and you know what you say? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that that happened. That, that doesn't represent the Jesus that I believe. That's not the church that I think Christ established. Can I, can I tell you about the true church? Or you say, you know what? Because um, a lot of times people are just people. You know, and a lot of times they're mad at the church because the church is filled with sinners. And you can say, hey, you know, if, if you're thinking of the church as a perfect place, it doesn't exist, you know. And, and I'm sorry that you got hurt, but we're all, we're all going to hurt each other. 
and and so I am again. I'm sorry that you had that experience, but um, you know, if, if church was a place for perfect people, you wouldn't be allowed there. I wouldn't be allowed there. Okay, and uh, and you can kind of, but a lot of apologizing goes a really long way. You know, apologizing on behalf of you know you had nothing to do with it, but apologizing on behalf of those people really goes a long way. I think, and again, don't be. God softens hearts too, you know. So don't be afraid of people's resentments and and let that resentment keep you from pre- preaching the truth. You know. Any other questions? I wanted to point out that on the bottom of the creed sheet I gave you some resources, books that I would recommend. Some of you guys got I once was lost, didn't you? You had to read that. Maybe. Um what books are those? I should know. Uh yeah, the, the the John Piper one, the first one, The Supremacy of Christ in a Postmodern World, I would really recommend that one, and they've got free PDFs of it online. It's actually like six essays, so it's not a whole book. It's a bunch of different guys, so you can even read through some of the essays. Um, that quote, that David Wells quote, that's from this book. Okay, so really recommend that one. You can get that for free. But I Once Was Lost is a great book. It's uh, They uh, interviewed several, several postmodern skeptic Millennials that became Christians, and they asked them what their process of becoming Christian looked like, and it was a lot longer than somebody shared a tract with them, and it was a lot more complicated. But they they found that every person there was actually kind of five steps that they went through in being um, totally alien to the gospel to becoming a believer in Jesus. And so it's a really interesting book to kind of read through like that. If you're interested in more of the like history of postmodernism and kind of the thought behind that, that Stan Grin's book is really good. There's a Francis Schaeffer one on there, some of those. So just look at those. Um, the Bible Among the Myths is really technical, but it's probably um, one of the best books that I've ever read, honestly. It, it, actually, it's interesting. Its whole premise is comparing the Old Testament belief to all of the other ancient Near Eastern religions at the same time and how... Um, the, the Jewish people could not have come up with this by themselves is kind of the, the premise of the book. So it's really, really technical, and some of you may not be interested in it, but it's, it kind of compares the old, um, the ancient worldview to the postmodern worldview and how it's really no different. Um, it's really good. But one other thing I want to point out to you is there's this Tim Keller lecture here, uh, which is coming from the same series that this John Piper book came from, The Supremacy of Christ and the Gospel in a Postmodern World. That's for free. It's just a like an hour and ten minute lecture online. I think all of you, before you go, put that on your iPhone. That may be dangerous. I don't know where you're going. I don't know how that works. Um, name it something else. I don't know. But listen to that. Listen to that. It's really good. Um, and he just talks about how do you do evangelism. Here's a guy that's been serving in Manhattan leading people to Christ left and right. I mean, just anything by Tim Keller is amazing. But um, this this would be really helpful in that. So I'll stick around for a little bit, but I know that you guys need to go. But would somebody just pray? You know, I'm going to pray for you. You guys need to be prayed for. So I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll go. God, help us to believe that your word is truth. I know all of us have places where we doubt or we just... Don't even recognize that our own worldviews are inadequate, that we haven't taken the time to thoughtfully consider the depth of your truth. Lord, would you convict us and inspire us and build us up and encourage us with your truth. 
and the hope that we have that this isn't all just spiraling out of control into a meaningless burning heap, but you are going to fix everything. You sent your son because there is a problem and it's us. But rather than removing the problem, you redeemed the problem. You're restoring and fixing what is broken by your grace. Lord, I thank you for the men and women in this room that that are redeemed, that have uh, recognized that they are sinful and have recognized that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. God, I pray if there's anyone in this room, because I know it can happen even in a room like this, of missionaries. God, if there's anyone in this room that hasn't really believed the gospel yet, would you help them now in this moment recognize and believe the flaming truth of the gospel? Would you help these men and women be bold ambassadors, witnesses of that gospel? Would you cause them to shine like bright lights wherever they go with this flaming truth? Would you save people? Would you bring them to the people that are being saved? And would you give them boldness to proclaim the truth in love? And would you add multitudes of new brothers and sisters? Increase this collection of sinners that are called the ones being saved. God, help us to be about your kingdom until the time where you bring your kingdom to earth. You raise us from the dead. You make all things new. Until that time, Lord, keep us in one faith. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys.